Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Some Like It's Got, episode 41, part of the Media Plug Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on the podcast today, we're doing something we haven't done before. We're not reviewing any movies, but instead, we're taking a full episode to look back on the last 11, or maybe it's better to say the first 11 years of the MCU. To do that, we have a guest with us today, but first, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Scott. You know, we are recording this on a very important day. Obviously, we're going to be talking about uh, a big, pretty big fandom throughout this episode, but it's also a very important day for another pretty big fandom. Uh, so I just want to wish uh, to you and to our guest a, a very happy May the 4th be with you. Definitely some exciting stuff to come in the Star Wars universe, um, you know, after we put the Marvel universe to bed, at least for a few months. Absolutely. No, we have uh, plenty in store for the Star Wars universe uh, as a nice little tease for everyone, for all of our listeners. But yes, definitely later on this year, we have episode nine and we have plenty of content leading into episode nine that we think our listeners will really enjoy. Yeah, no, I'm I'm very excited for it. We're going to talk about The Phantom Menace, the most underrated Star Wars movie. There you go. I said it. Yeah, we're going to talk about we're going to take 10 episodes, in fact, to talk about the Phantom Menace. And we're going to go through every single person in the pod race and just break down every one of those characters. And of course, Jar Jar, fan favorite. I mean, yes, that's going to be two episodes at least. (laughs) At least. You're right. All right, Scott. As I alluded to earlier, we have a special guest joining us today. He's been on the podcast many times before already, but never the three of us all together. He's a specialist on all things comic book movies. And so we thought of no better time to have him on the podcast proper than on this episode. So with us today, we have Jay Habib. Jay, how are you doing today? Hey, Scott. Hey, Scott. Uh, I'm doing great. I'm thrilled to be back. And as you well know, I could talk about this stuff for hours. All right, guys, as I mentioned already, today we're taking a full episode to look back at the first 11 years in the MCU. Some people have called it the Infinity Saga. It's now come to its conclusion. Technically, Phase 3 does not end until Spider, uh, Spider-Man Spider Far From Home later this summer. But this really feels like the, the, well, I should say, most recently, Avengers Endgame feels like the real capstone on this first era of the MCU. And so, Jay, I know you weren't on last week's episode of the podcast where we reviewed Avengers Endgame, so I just thought I'd give you a little bit of airtime here at the beginning of this episode to share what you thought of this movie. What are your general impressions of it? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it pretty high level. I think you guys covered it great. I loved this movie. It was such a spectacle, in, and I mean that in the most positive way I could. Um, I don't think there could be anything in my lifetime that means as much to me as the last 11 years of buildup and seeing everyone on screen, you know, getting ready to fight one final battle, Avengers assemble, cap with the hammer, mm-hmm. like, spoiler alert, by the way. Um, <laughs> I, uh, for that. Yeah, I just, I don't think there'll be anything like this during my lifetime ever again. It was amazing. And I mean, I just get excited thinking about it and even more so talking about it. I mean, Scott Shelton, you'll recall earlier in the week, we were talking on the phone about it, and I spontaneously decided just to go rewatch it because of how excited talking about it made me. 
I think that's exactly the kind of movie that it is. And, and Scott, I know you recently rewatched as well. In fact, I think you guys actually might have rewatched it on the exact same night. So, Scott, any uh, additional impressions since you've now watched it a second time? Well, I mean, uh, first of all, I just want to say that the fact that I did go see this movie again says something in and of itself because I'm not the type of person. Scott, I know you go and see movies multiple times a lot of times, but I don't do that. In fact, I was trying to think of what the last movie was that I saw multiple times in theaters. And I think it was actually three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I saw twice in theaters. But prior to that, it had probably been three or four years before I'd done this. And when you, when you, you know, put the cherry on top of the fact that this was a three hour movie and I went to the theater to see it a second time, knowing, you know, as, as all of our listeners will, how, uh, you know, how, how, how I feel about, movies that uh with extended running times uh you know i think that says something in and of itself about how special this movie is and you know just the fact that it did warrant a rewatch in my mind and yeah i'm very glad that i did rewatch it because there are there were things that hit me differently this time i think the main thing that sticks out is the black widow scenes really uh hit me a lot differently this time around because you know you can look at when i watched Endgame the first time you know you kind of had a certain feeling that Tony, Cap, you know, these these old, uh, the old guard of the Avengers, they were in some danger of, of dying in this movie. But Black Widow was not really someone that ever came to my mind. So when I watched the movie for the first time, I wasn't really thinking about her scenes under the guise of, oh, you know, this could be the last time we ever see her, especially because we do have the Black Widow standalone movie still to come out uh, in the next phase of the MCU. Seeing it the second time, knowing what I did about you know what eventually does happen to Black Widow. I think that some of these scenes definitely took on a more emotional feel. I mean, obviously that scene towards the beginning with her and Cap uh, at the Avengers headquarters. You know, you really see that in a different light um, after you you know know how Black Widow's story ends in this movie. And then just that you know that one moment uh, right before they jump back in time, right before all of the Avengers jump back in time, and it's you know she's the one who says, "See you guys in a minute." Uh, but of course, you know, she's the only one who doesn't make it back, you know, a minute later. Um, so just seeing those sort of like little touches that the Russo brothers threw in there, um, you know, it's kind of like watching a movie that has a huge plot twist at the end and then going back and rewatching it a second time and seeing all the ways that, uh, you know, the filmmakers clued you in that that was going to happen. Uh, some of which maybe, you know, and some of which uh, you you didn't see the first time around. You didn't catch the first time around. And I think I only have greater appreciation for what the Russo brothers did after you know going at, going through and watching this movie again. Also, the score. I mean, is something that we didn't really talk about on our review, but it's really good. Um, one of the best MCU scores, at least in my memory, Alan Silvestri, of course, um, providing it and just listening to it. Uh, you know, isolated on Spotify without the movie as a as a guide, I think just made me appreciate it even more, but I, I definitely was paying more attention to it the second time around. And there's some really nice moments in there. And obviously, you know, s- some very big triumphant epic moments too, that, that come at the, you know, appropriate moments in the film as well. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I was super high on this movie the first time. And I think, uh, you know, the rewatch, uh, while it didn't break like huge new ground for me. Uh, you know, there were, there were new things that I picked out and I'm sure, you know, with multiple more rewatches, uh, I'm going to find even more things to pick out. Cause it's just such a long and packed movie, uh, that, you know, there's, there are so many, uh, 
rewards that it has to offer. And, you know, I'm sure even amongst the multiple viewings that all of us have had, uh, you know, we haven't been able to catch everything. So it's it's that kind of a, a special movie. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I think that one of the one of the enduring things about this movie and what I think is so impressive about all of it is how accessible it is, even for those who maybe haven't seen more than just a handful of movies in the franchise. Now, of course, you need to see a few of them to get the major emotional hits and even understand and like comprehend what's going on. There, There is like some minimum level of entry, but you don't have to have seen, you know, 15, 20, 22, all 21 of these movies leaning into into Endgame, which I think is a, a real a tribute to what the Rooster Brothers have been able to craft, um, picking out the moments that, and I, I should say isolating the moments that are most critical for you to be knowledgeable of going into the movie, but then also giving plenty of depth for those who have seen all 20, you know, 21 other movies in the franchise, and you have all the background of, of all those other movies, and, and putting in those little Easter eggs and teasers and callbacks that are just littered throughout the entire movie, and I think that's something that's so impressive, and one of the things that I noticed in your Letterboxd review for the second time you watched it was something that I really wish we'd actually talked more about on the podcast because it was something that I meant to talk about, but uh, just kind of slipped in the in the midst of all of it. And that is the final battle sequence Mm -hmm. and what the Russo brothers were able to accomplish in that you noted in your review how, you know, just how impressive it is to have such a large scale battle, but be able to follow it so linearly and so uh, easily and and make it so comprehensible. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, it was something that struck me the first time, but you're right. We never really got a chance to talk about it because there is just so much to talk about with this movie. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's something that they have, we, we've seen, they've done this very well throughout all of the MCU movies that they have directed. All of them have had these large scale battle sequences, probably none like this one. This probably is the largest scale of what they've directed. But, you know, you think about that Wakanda battle scene from Infinity War. I mean, very large scale battle scene as well. But like I said in my review, you never get lost in the action. You're always aware sort of of where everyone is, what everyone's trying to do. You know, that's really impressive because so much of this movie is based on, you know, how much so much of your connection to this movie is how 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 connected you are to the characters. And so the fact that they keep you grounded in the characters, even amidst all of this action, that's going on is, you know, really speaks to what they did here with these four movies that they directed. Jay, anything in particular stand out from this movie that you want to talk about? I know that you mentioned to me when you thought it was outrageous that we didn't mention the elevator scene with Captain America calling back to Winter Soldier. Anything else you want to talk about there? Oh, sure. I mean, I'm I'm just going to take my moment to dwell on that one, um, specifically for the comic book readers out there who will remember a couple years back when uh, a new a reboot of Captain America ended with him saying "Hail Hydra," and everyone was so outraged that they had seemingly made him a member of Hydra, brainwashed by Hydra, whatever you know, whatever we thought was happening at the time. And although, like objectively speaking, it was funny to see Cap say that. I feel like for the people who remember this and read this, it was especially funny. Like, okay, we made we found a way to make Cap saying "Hail Hydra" a, like a pretty spectacularly funny moment. I appreciated that so much. Yeah. And just to jump in another moment, and this is probably, you know, just me being only a casual fan of the MCU that, you know, the reason it went over my head the first time, but totally, you know, brain farted on the fact that on your left is of course the line from um, winter soldier when they're jogging, uh, when, when Falcon and cap are jogging together. So hearing that, call back during the final battle sequence this time around what you know with that fresh in my memory you know made me appreciate that on your left line more when falcon sort of returns the favor 
Yep. And I think on that note, we might as well just go ahead and dive right in. If you want any more of our thoughts and you haven't watched our review or haven't listened to our review episode yet, check that out. It's available uh, wherever you find this podcast normally. But for now, guys, let's go ahead and kind of zoom out. Think about the last 11 years. This is kind of just going to be a grab bag of topics that I managed to come up with with a little bit of input from both of you. But to start out with, thinking back about the last 11 years, the last 22 movies, Scott, I know you've you've missed a few, but you still have plenty uh, enough to draw from here. Who do you think is the character who had the greatest impact on this franchise? And I'm going to say the natural exclusion of, of Tony Stark here of Iron Man, because I think he's the obvious pick. Oh, uh, or- wow. I know I'm, th- I'm thrown off now because I was going to be my answer <laughs> too bad and <laughs> shaking it up because it's too obvious. Jay, it sounds like Scott's a little rattled. So why don't you go first? <laughs> well, I mean, you did take away the obvious answer. A couple, a couple answers to this. I mean, I think one that stands out to me um, is going to be Black Panther just because of the way it burst onto the Oscar nomination stage. Um, you know, despite not getting a win, yeah, like, you know, of the actual award. It was a pretty big win to have a superhero movie show up uh, in, you know, contention. Um, and obviously, you know, its uh, its box office records might pale a little bit uh, now that they've been taken by Endgame and actually even Infinity War later that year. I, I think this will be a movie that, that ages well. And I think it'll be a movie that, you know, we, we look back on as just appropriate, both for the era... And then also, you know, how well it played out as a superhero film when we were in the midst of all this. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a good point. I I mean, and we also have one of the luxuries about, you know, talking about Black Panther is that we're probably going to have him for many years to come, which is which is a huge relief. And it is interesting how, you know, Marvel probably realized the mistakes of their of their past and in leaning into the the final act of this Infinity Saga and tried to remedy that, right? You have a movie like Black Panther and a movie like Captain Marvel, one of the last few movies that, that have come out, uh, you know, two of the last three non-Avengers uh, movies to come out in this phase have been targeted at broadening, you know, uh, the audience in terms of inclusivity, you know, it, making people who hadn't seen themselves in superhero costumes before, basically uh, at the forefront of these superhero movies, bringing those people into the fold, bringing those characters into the fold for the MCU. And, you know, we'll talk about more about this later, probably, but two characters in Captain Marvel and Black Panther that we're probably going to see a lot of in the future. I think so, too. I certainly hope so. Scott, I know that I rattled you a bit, uh, throwing you off <laughs> Tony Stark. And you know what? We'll, we'll, we can give Tony his time in the sun if you if you there probably isn't a better pick than that. So maybe it's worth talking about. If you would like, we will we will allow you to call out Tony Stark here. Well, okay. I mean, I'll briefly say my backup would have been Thor just because I think when I think about this question, I think about the the big overarching arcs for the characters in the MCU. And so, you know, when I think about that, that's why I, I don't go with somebody like Captain America because I don't think he has a huge arc. You know, in the first movie, he wants to be with Peggy. That's his goal. And in the last movie, he wants to be with Peggy so much so that he, you know, goes back in time to actually be with her. But I think Thor is a character who, from the first time we see him to the very end, undergoes a lot of change and development. You know, at the beginning, he's kind of a insolent child a little bit. You know, he's kind of the outcast of uh, his royal family. He's, you know, to be honest, he's not the most likable character from the very beginning of that first Thor movie. But I think, you know, as the franchise has gone on, 
you know, he's matured more and he's gotten some of those big moments. I mean, probably the best moment in Infinity War is when he, uh, you know, teleports into the battle in Wakanda with uh, Rocket. Um, and uh, that's just such a satisfying and epic moment uh, for a character that I think it took a while for people to connect to. But I think, you know, around the time that, uh, like, you know, Thor Ragnarok is known for its sense of humor. And I think it goes along with the sense of humor that Thor has really developed over the course of the, the MCU series. And I think that's something that has endeared more audiences to him is his sense of humor. And, I, you know, I think we obviously see that in Endgame. They're leaning very heavily into that uh, with Fat Thor and all of that. Uh, all, all of what goes on with that character. But also, I think, you know, maybe like the one of the most important lines in Endgame comes in that scene with Thor and his mom where, you know, she says, like, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. Like, the true measure of a person is whether they can be who they are. Um, and, like, that's really, like, sums up, you know, one of the major themes of Endgame about failing the people you love. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's it's telling that they chose Thor as a character to get that point across using the character of Thor. Uh, and, you know, obviously we're going to see more of him going forward, and I'm excited about that. But, you know, I think the obvious answer is Tony Stark and Iron Man when you think, again, about what I was saying at the beginning about how you have to look at the arcs for these characters. I think nobody has had a more satisfying and, you know, easy-to-see arc than Tony Stark and Iron Man from being that sort of narcissistic playboy uh, in, at the beginning of the first Iron Man to, you know, he becomes more politically conscious about sort of the implications of what he is doing as Stark Industries, you know, in that first movie, even after his, after the experience that he has in the Middle East. He, you know, falls in love with Pepper, who is probably someone that he would have just seen like as hired help, um, you know, prior to those events. He, you know, becomes sort of a surrogate father figure to uh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, uh, in, you know, some of the later movies like, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, obviously, and Civil War. And then, obviously, he becomes an actual father uh, in the very end, sort of just to complete the arc. And we see, you know, whereas, uh, you know, it, in the first movie, who knows what Tony Stark's goal was, probably getting rich. At the end of this, you know, in Endgame, all that, you know, he is stressing the whole movie is that he wants to be with his family. Whatever happens when they go back in time, he's they got to keep the future the same way so that he can be with his family. And that I do not think that that's something that Tony Stark, the Tony Stark in the of the first Iron Man movie, would have ever thought that uh, you know he would be saying at the end of this uh, franchise when it comes to an end. So I think that speaks to how well they've done with this character, and obviously Robert Downey Jr.'s performance is, you know, probably the best of anyone in the MCU. Yeah. Before moving before moving on to get sharing my own thoughts about Iron Man, because I think it is really the obvious choice. I got to say, there's probably no better match for a actor director combo that I can honestly think of, um, with the exception of maybe Chris McQuarrie and Tom Cruise, than Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth. I, th I think that the two of their, their sense of humors and their comedy just work so well together and reading all about all the behind the scenes stuff and the relationship between uh, Taika and how he approached directing Chris Hemsworth in this movie, allowing him to ad lib a lot of the funniest lines from Thor Ragnarok. I just think that that that, that those two uh, really revitalize that sort of Thor vertical of the MCU because I mean, clearly what Kenneth Branagh did didn't resonate with audience and, and 
it's a very it's such a different movie uh tonally thematically uh narratively than something like thor ragnarok and i think thor ragnarok is something much closer to a space opera which is far more interesting to people of the mcu based on the success of guardians of the galaxy than something like the original thor movie or even thor the dark world which is some real like weird kind of family drama like a very uh one-dimensional villain and so takawa titi has to be credited so much and his partnership with Chris Hemsworth has to be credited so much for revitalizing that franchise, growing that character into what is arguably of the characters that we have left post endgame, probably what my favorite character in the franchise. I mean, it's, it's fair to say like Chris Hemsworth's Thor is one of the best parts of the MCU now. I, I guess I just want to see where they go because I was talking to someone else about this. It, I, I totally am on board with everything they did um, with him in Endgame, turning him into fat Thor and essentially throwing him off course. But if we think back to Ragnarok, it wasn't really about him becoming a king, but I feel like by the end of the movie, you know, you know, he has his eye stabbed out. He's the leader of Asgard now. He like takes his people off of their planet. Asgard is a people, not a place. They even said he looks like his father when he had the eye thing. Like, you know, we just spent that whole movie like with him like coming into his own as their leader. And then, you know, Infinity War happened and he lost half his people and got his ass handed to him. And then there was Endgame, which, you know, just took that and stretched it even further. I mean, in the most literal sense, you know, and like, again, I think he's so funny. I just, I'm really curious to see what they do with him now. I want to see who he becomes now that he has free reign, essentially. Yeah, Jay, I think that's, I think that's fair. For me, I think that his entire life had been built around you know, trying trying to become who he was supposed to be, and when he fails those people so miserably, as much as I think that it was it was a surprising turn of events to see how far down he went in five years. But at the end of the day, it feels like it's the right thing to do. And it, I wouldn't honestly be that surprised if he comes back at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three or some other movie and takes back over being king again. And that's what like the fine like, and that's the point we end Thor's story. I think that this odyssey he's about to go on probably ties into that overall arc. And once he's satisfied with that and comes to terms with that, it, it wouldn't entirely surprise me to come full circle and then become uh, king of Asgard again. All right. So the more the more relevant topic, Iron Man. Scott, I, I can't agree more with what you said about Tony. He has the most the clear the clear arc. You know, he starts out to your point as this, you know, billionaire playboy uh, just trying to have fun, go through life, live it up. Then, you know, of course, he gets abducted uh, and he starts to generate a moral compass that he didn't have before. And he forms this thing with Nick Fury and um, Natasha Romanoff uh, called the Avengers. And he does that. And that experience scars him. You know, Iron Man three is all about him coming to terms with the experience, the, the PTSD that he, that he experiences after Avengers. And I think that, that is one of the movies that I'm not saying it's anywhere. It's even necessarily in like the top five or 10 movies in the MCU. But I think that that adds so much nuance to that character arc. And that's when you start to see the true development of, you know, not only does he love Pepper, but he's ready to start the family. Something that, that you could you could never say about Tony from the first Iron Man movie. And then, of course, Age of Ultron happens and he's proven wrong. Sokovia happens. He has to come to a moral reckoning of, of the consequences of Sokovia. You see that go through civil war and how he stands up for what he believes. And even against cap, even against, you know, half of the Avengers that he developed. And then of course, infinity war in game, his swan song, the full coming full circles. It's the most fleshed out arc. Yeah. I, I think that Tony is just, he's an incredible feat and, and definitely the figurehead for the MCU in these first 22 movies. And 
when we look back 22 movies from now, you know, Black Widow will be someone that we miss a lot. You know, we can already feel that just from the reactions to Avengers Endgame. But Tony, Tony will be the one that endures the longest, that stays the most top of mind when we think about the Avengers that we lost along the way. And, and I, I don't know if I have much more to add than that. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Cool. All right, guys, next question. Who has been the best or most interesting villain? I know, again, there's kind of an obvious answer here in Thanos. I don't know if either of you were thinking that. I, I'm not going to say Thanos is off limits here. But, guys, why don't we start with that, and, and Scott, we'll go with you first. Yeah, I mean, Thanos is who comes to mind for me. I think it's, you know, we've talked about how it's been kind of a weakness of the MCU that a lot of the villains aren't stronger, aren't very strong. And I think, you know, when you look at the list of villains in these movies, um, you know, if you throw, if you take Loki out of the picture, I think there's really not even a clear second place after Thanos. You know, I I don't mind uh, Michael Keaton's Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming, but I don't know. Beyond that, uh, it's a little tough sledding. But, uh, you know, Thanos. (laughs) Well, okay, yeah, that's true. Killmonger, I guess you definitely have to put up there. But I think that um, Thanos, for sort of his mythology, I guess you could say, with, you know, his backstory with Gamora and Nebula um, being their adoptive father, um, you know, obviously directly anchors him into the Avengers uh, storyline and uh, sort of his philosoph- the, his more philosophical nature and all of what he's talking about, um, you know, with about trying to achieve balance in this universe by snapping away everyone. I, he He's a more of a thinking man's villain than we get from a lot of these uh, MCU villains. And then obviously just his sheer power, I think, too, speaks to why he's the best villain, you know, not just in the fact that he snaps away half of everyone but you know in this final fight scene in Endgame he's fighting off you know Captain America and Captain Marvel and uh Iron Man all by himself and obviously obviously Iron Man ultimately gets the better of him but he he's able to hold off these like most powerful superheroes in the world with I won't say ease but he's not struggling uh you know a whole lot and it's only when Iron Man gets a hold of those infinity stones that he's able to do anything about it so I think you know Thanos is is definitely the one that jumps out because I, you know, you've, I've always thought in these Avengers movies that it's hard to create a villain who can actually be a match to the Avengers because the Avengers are all so powerful. How do you create one villain who is going to, you know, realistically provide a threat to them? And I think they absolutely did that with Thanos. Guys, remember Dormammu? I do. I was thinking. And Ben, ben Kingsley's uh, Mandarin. Whiplash. Whiplash, there we go. Dark <laughs> oh, Elves gosh. from... Uh, Malekith. Uh, I don't. I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I, I think I've got uh, Thanos and Loki as one A and one B, and Killmonger at two. Uh, he's my clear, I guess, third. Um, I, I know Loki kind of walks that line a little weirdly, but for the sake of this, let's. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and count him as a villain, and then put uh, it, Michael is, B. Jordan. He is a villain. I mean, he is a villain in Avengers. He doesn't reach anti-hero status until Thor: The Dark World. So. Right. So th- th- that'll be my my top three. Yeah, for me, I, I think Thanos is the obvious answer. I, of course, I'm partial to Michael B. Jordan's Killmonger. I'd love James Spader as Ultron as much as Ultron is like an as like a really one dimension, like classic one dimensional villain. I thought James Spader's performance as Ultron was just so menacing. The James Spader voice is just perfect for that role, and so I really, really loved that. Awesome. 
So next question, which more minor character do you wish we'd gotten more of or learned more about in the first 22 movies? I, I think you probably know what my answer is, Scott, just because of the way that I've you know, talked about these two characters, all, all of our MCU discussions. I think Scarlet Witch and Vision are both really interesting characters that we did not get to see enough of. You know, obviously we get a little bit of their sort of, uh, at, at least, uh, well, I mean, we get both of their origin stories to an extent in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron is the first time we see them. You know, they start off as villains, but, um, or uh, Scarlet Witch does at least before um, flipping to join the Avengers. But I think beyond that, there's really not much substance to these characters other than the romance that they have, right? And I think that in and of itself is interesting because it's the most clear romantic subplot that we have in the whole MCU between two people who are Avengers. Like, you know, you can make the the case for like Ant-Man and Wasp or, you know, Tony and Pepper, since Pepper does become, uh, you know, wear the Iron Man suit at the end. But I think this is the clearest example of that. Um, but I just don't think that they explored that enough. You know, Infinity War, they had some nice scenes together. Uh, but I'm looking forward to the TV series so that we can learn more about these characters because I think they have two really good actors in Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany um, playing these characters. And I also think Scarlet Witch's powers are just really cool. Like she has like some telekinesis stuff going on. And then just the way that she was able to uh, to land some blows on Thanos in that battle scene in Endgame, uh, you know, she gets the great moment of like, when Thanos says, I don't even know who you are. And she says, oh, you will. And I think she's not only talking to Thanos there, but she's talking to the audience, right? Because we haven't gotten enough of this character, but we're going to with the Disney Plus series and hopefully with some more of the films as well. Because like one interesting thing about Scarlet Witch is that in the comics, she's the daughter of Magneto. So I don't know if like somewhere down the line, we're going to get the, you know, the X-Men tie-in that everyone is going to, you know, as everyone is hoping for, um, in the future is going to happen through the Scarlet Witch character, but it's an interesting direction they could pursue. Definitely is an interesting uh, direction and not to beat a dead horse. Cause I say, like I said this so many times last week on the podcast, but what Avengers Endgame did for me is made me care about characters that I previously didn't care all that much about. You know, wasn't a huge fan of Scarlet Witch, but seeing her in that final fight made me care about her a lot more and getting, getting her just desserts on a, on a few landing, a few blows on Thanos. And yeah, <laughs> I think that I am looking forward to the TV show. It's going to be weird. It's going to be set in the 50s, which I don't even understand that. Yeah, but it's, you don't have to wait as long for the other for this one as the other TV shows, because it's the first one slated for uh, for production and release. All right. Well, I mean, I'm excited. Jay, any thoughts on Scarlet Witch or do you want to just segue right into who you're thinking? I mean, I'm with you. Uh, and I agree with the point you made last week about this endgame making you care more about certain characters. And for me, she definitely was one of them. Um, I have no early thoughts on the TV show, but. Speaking of Children of Magneto that I wish we'd gotten a little bit of more of, um, Quicksilver. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if we think back to Avengers Age of Ultron, I that mean, guy. even just looking at what has been, well, think about what's been done with Quicksilver uh, in the X-Men mm-hmm. series. Like, you know, even just, you know, it, I'm only, we're only, at least I'm only thinking of like, you know, a few specific scenes where we see him run around and wreak all sorts of havoc, uh, depending on what's happening in the scene or save people. I mean, again, depending on the scene, but you know, that, that was so well done. What a, like, you know, humorous, like adaptation of the character. And I know we won't uh, at least presumably get that with Scarlet Witch or with, you know, the now dead Quicksilver, you know, the relationship to Magneto and how all that would have played out, but certainly wouldn't have minded seeing a little bit more of him uh, around in the universe. I'm I'm sure there were all sorts of reasons why they couldn't keep him around, but 
or maybe they just felt it was it, they were justified and not. But either way, you know, I, I uh, definitely would not have minded seeing a little more Quicksilver in this universe. Maybe more of him next time. Him and Howard the Duck. Let's uh, let's also bring him back. okay. He did get it. Howard the Duck in was end in game. Yeah, no, I I saw it. Oh, I know. Okay. <laughs> I didn't see it the first time because there's so much going on, but he pops up and I'm like, God damn it. Why is that duck there? Hey, he's just- it, was, it was amazing. You can't not see it. It's, it's when Wasp pops up, right? And like, he's just on the bottom right. Yeah. Yep. He just sticks out. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So that's, that's lead to rampant speculation that Howard the duck is going to become a critical part of the MCU in yes. phase four, which is, which would be devastating to me. Honestly. One could only hope him and squirrel girl. Let's do it. Yeah, honestly, he'd probably fit right in with the guardians of the galaxy for being honest. I don't know. I still prefer Rocket and, and Groot. Yeah, but uh, I mean, if you threw him in there, it wouldn't be like totally out, out of the ordinary. Yeah, I agree. Guys, so for me, I think that I have a couple a couple of my throwaway ones here is that before Ant-Man and the Wasp, I would have loved more about Evangeline Lilly's uh, Hope Van Dyne character. But we got that a little bit more in Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I feel like I'm not justified in picking that one. Uh, the ancient one as well. Love Tilda Swinton's ancient one yeah. from Doctor Strange. The one that I wish now that we gotten more of. And I was so disappointed we didn't get to see more of him in um, in Infinity War and Endgame. And that's uh, Taiko Watiti's Korg. Yes, Korg. Korg is amazing. I loved the scene that he got in Endgame. Wish we could have gotten more of him. I mean, I think just to quickly flit away from that, I think the Black Widow, I, I was really surprised no one said Black Widow because I thought that was the most obvious one, uh, not getting a standalone movie yet and, and being someone who everyone has demanded to learn more about because she's she's just a mystery. We don't know anything about her backstory at all. We really don't. Like we know she grew up, tra- like she, her, her origin story is basically Red Sparrow and <laughs> like we don't know anything else beyond the fact that she was trained. And so I'm, it seems like this Black Widow movie might be an origin story. You might get that background. We'll see. But for me, I was surprised that Black Widow didn't come up because I thought she was the obvious answer to this question. But for me, I want to see more of Korg going forward and lucky to still have Miranda, though. Highly doubt it since Taika Waititi is more of a director than an actor. Yeah, he's kind of just a comic relief character. But he's great at it. Yeah. And and to speak to your point about Black Widow, I mean, we have to find out what happened in Budapest, right? Like they've referenced that in Mm. multiple movies now. No, we're never going to find out what happened in Budapest. I'm I'm pretty adamant that's never going to happen. That that story is so much better not knowing what actually happened. I think there's just so much there's just so much uh, mystique about it now. It's it, like that you... one time at Bandcamp, you know. Except that exactly one Budapest. <laughs> so moving on from that, which movie? This is kind of a two part question. Which movie exceeded your expectations the most, and which movie disappointed you the most? Jay, we'll start with you. Exceeded expectations the most. I, I think the the runaway favorite there for me. Uh, is Guardians of the Galaxy, which might come as a surprise, but personally, I was not very excited for it. Um, I don't quite remember why. I guess it was so many. I mean, so many years ago, I can't really remember. But I just remember thinking that the universe felt like it was getting so crowded, and we have another. T- and I know, but that's ridiculous to hear from me now. But I was young. I I don't know. I just remember thinking that it, it just looked like it was just going to be kind of a a cheap laugh. Um, oh my god how wrong I was Com- completely blew uh, blew me away fantastic movie great score I mean we you know we love uh, every guardian that comes out of that movie you know all the way up to the dance off to save the universe I-, I thought that I mean Scott I know Scott Shelton I know this is one of your favorite Marvel movies period um, and it's certainly up there for me and I think before seeing it I-, I probably wouldn't have thought I would love it as much as I did Yep. No, I think uh, I think that the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, like you said, 
took me by, I mean, it took me by surprise as well. I don't know if it's the one that surprised me the most, but I think it totally makes sense why it surprises you. But the, what James Gunn was able to do to bring together this ragtag bunch of heroes, anti-heroes, however you think about them, but these, you know, these miscreants, bringing them all together and creating a story that was infectious and it's and it's humor. I know Scott thinks that there's maybe a little bit too much humor and that not everyone is as, is as funny as that in real life. But for me, it's it, it grabs you not only from its narrative direction and its space opera story, but also from its soundtrack. Its soundtrack, it, it, it seems like an easy win, right? You just smash together the, you know, a, a, some of the greatest hits of all time. But when you work that into the movie, the way that James Gunn and the editors and were able to do in this movie, you've got something really special. And that's what Guardians of the Galaxy was for me. I think thinking back on it now, I, I was probably a little bit of a bitter DC fanboy who was watching Marvel just take characters and just, you know, shoot them out. Uh, you know, creating successful friend or yeah, like movie after movie, and we we still couldn't get Superman right. So I, I think that's also part of the reason I was just like, oh, this can't possibly be good. And then surprise, it's <laughs> a good point. Still haven't gotten Superman right. Certainly not. Scott, what about you? Uh, so for a movie that has ex- that exceeded my expectations the most, I'm actually going to go with uh, Avengers: Infinity War because I think that movie came at a time where it, you know, I was starting to sort of grow a little tired of the MCU films. I mean, I liked Black Panther; I thought it was solid, but it had been a couple years, like going back to Civil War, since there, you know, a movie that I had really loved had come out of the MCU, and so. You know, going into this movie with more characters than ever, more stories than ever, you know, a long runtime of two and a half hours, I kind of was, you know, I won't say I was dreading it, but I didn't approach it with the excitement that I think most people did and that I probably should have had for the movie. And I was, you know, so satisfied by what they did, even though, you know, the ending, we knew that it wasn't going to to stick. Uh, I think I appreciate it a little bit more knowing now the full plan that they had, um, you know, after watching Endgame, obviously. But I think, you know, that this was just the the first example, uh, you know, Endgame being the second of of how the Russo brothers are so deft at balancing all of these stories. And, you know, the sort of the way that they broke up the narrative with these different teams of Avengers. You know, you had like Iron Man's Doctor Strange and Spider-Man together. You had Thor with the Guardians um, and you know, that was, I think just a, a simple, but very effective strategy for, again, keeping us grounded with what's going on, um, you know, not overstuffing things to the point where we don't really know what to focus on, you know, putting too many characters on the screen at a time and, you know, always, you know, keeping us in the know about what the stakes are of what's going on here, you know, What's going to happen if Thanos is get, gets all of the Infinity Stones? Where are all of the Infinity Stones throughout the movie? Um, I think they just did an excellent job. And um, I was really surprised coming out of it how much I was satisfied with uh, Infinity War. And it really got me back on the Marvel train, fully back on the Marvel train, You know, to the point where I look forward to Ant-Man and the Wasp and then obviously was uh, dying to see Endgame. Uh, and I think that would not have been the case without Infinity War. Yeah, that makes total sense and, to- and totally fair coming from, you know, knowing your history o- with the MCU. That doesn't surprise me at all. But obviously thrilled to hear that Infinity War really turned a corner for you with this franchise. Yeah, for me, the most and in- the-, the one that I think exceeded my expectations the most was Thor Ragnarok. I mean, we've talked about this movie at length already, but coming off of 
the previous two Thor standalone movies and in the original Thor and then Thor of the Dark World, my expectations basically for like any movie in the MCU, my expectations are probably the lowest for this. You know, of course, the trailers got me, you know, grooving a little bit with what the, the vibe of this movie was going to be different and, and that showed promise. But just uh, off of history alone was deeply concerned that this movie wasn't going to be a home run. But if anything, I think it was the opposite. I think it, you know, it was a home run, not a perfect movie, not all the storylines tie up together well, uh, but I just really love, uh, I, 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 mean, I mentioned this already, of course, but Taika Waititi and what he was able to do with Thor and Chris Hemsworth as an actor, and then introducing Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie, who I thought was disappointingly underutilized in Infinity War and even Endgame too, for that matter. But then also uh, Korg, uh, cast of other characters the fact that we got hulk in a movie that wasn't the avengers again and gave him a little bit more airtime probably the closest we'll ever get to another hulk movie i mean we'll see but but likely given that universal still owns that property and to me i just thought that the humor just from the that opening scene when he's kind of in the cage with the skull and he's just spinning around i think that that set the tone for the entire movie it was absolutely hilarious and i love i love that movie almost from start to finish and jeff goldblum put in a good performance as well so that that just so pleasantly surprised me, even at a point in the MCU where the movies had all been, I mean, they were all landing well, right? There wasn't a movie at that point that you really dislike or is considered a bad movie, I don't think. But the fact that the expectations, uh, because of the, the history of that franchise, of the particular Thor franchise and the standalone movies, had, I, I sh- maybe I shouldn't have been as surprised by the ultimate, um, the ultimate final product, but I was, and it was such a pleasant surprise. All right, Jay, what's the one that's disappointed you the most? Oh boy, I don't think this is like the worst movie. It's just certainly the one that I had the highest hopes for and ended up the least with. Would probably have to be Guardians 2. Generally speaking, a lot lot of the movies have kind of ended up right around where I expected with a few, you know, pleasant surprises like Guardians and Ragnarok. Guardians 2, you know, is still a pretty funny movie. And maybe, you know, this is just a testament to how good the first one was. I just, I didn't walk out of the movie as happy, excited, any other positive emotion as I had been in the first one. And I know, I guess generally we maybe should be wary of sequels. I think I, I certainly am, but I had pretty high hopes. And again, it was, it was still like a fine movie, but from what I expected, didn't really live up. And I'll just wrap up by saying, I mean, if that's, you know, my biggest complaint in 22 films... You know, that, that means the movies generally at least landed where I expected them to. But I, I'd go ahead and say that's the one that I was like, eh, I, I wish we'd, I, w- I wish I just liked this one a little bit more. Yeah, that's fair. I think it's just like you said, it's just uh, it speaks to the quality of the first one, right? The, the expectations for the second one were so high and the fact that it couldn't live up to that. All right, Scott, what's your pick? Yeah, so unlike Jay, I actually think this probably is the worst movie in the MCU, as well as being the most disappointing, and that's Iron Man 2. I think this movie stinks after what was one of the best movies in the MCU, and the first Iron Man, obviously the movie that started it all off. You know, it was so so exciting to get introduced to this character, to see Robert Downey Jr. in this role, just to be so pleasantly surprised by that movie. And then the sequel to it, um, you know, did no favors for the Iron Man franchise going forward. Like I think they did regain their footing with Iron Man three, but man, this movie Iron Man two has a terrible villain uh, with this Mickey Rourke and whiplash with this stupid cockatoo um, was just such a poor choice by Justin Thoreau, who for some reason was the writer of this movie. 
I think they focused too much on like the politics of what was going on in Stark Industries and everything, um, which was far from the most interesting uh, part of you know Iron Man's story. I think Tony got super emo, which wasn't like the most entertaining thing to see. And the movie was too long. Sam Rockwell's character was really weird. I guess the only really good thing that came out of this was that we did get the first appearance for Black Widow. Uh, but even then, I think, you know, it, it didn't really save the movie. I think most of the MCU movies are, are you know, average to good um, to very good, uh, obviously, with some of the more recent ones. But this is, you know, the one that I would go out on a limb and say is just objectively bad. Yeah, Iron Man 2. Not one of the best. Not one of the best. For me, I was actually going to I was going to say the same. Iron Man 2 was probably the biggest disappointment after after co- coming off of Iron Man 1 and the promise of this you know burgeoning expanded universe. I mean, this was a this was a pretty big misstep. I mean, and you when you combine that with also having lost Terrence Howard, although I mentioned last week on the podcast how I think that Don Cheadle was ultimately able to step in and, and create a version of Rhodey that I really like, but I was, that was another big concern. The fact that Terrence Howard had departed that this Iron Man character, as much as he develops in Iron Man one really feels like he stagnates in Iron Man two in a lot of ways. And I, I can't agree more. The, the one of the upsides of Iron Man two is that we do, we are introduced a little bit more to Nick Fury and it's the closest we get to a Scarlett Johansson uh, standalone movie. I mean, those are the highlights of that movie not anything to do with Iron Man. And I think that speaks to what a disappointment this was. And, and it's definitely the biggest disappointment for me as well. Jay, any thoughts on that? Yeah, and I hate to use this excuse again, but I'm I'm just having a hard time, you know, going that far back and remembering exactly what my thoughts were along the, like when that movie came out. Um, I think it was just after that that I really started to pay attention um, and kind of start to shed my like DC over everybody preference, whatever you want to call it. Um, and really started to pay attention and formulate like opinions and thoughts on this universe and the movies to come and all that. Um, certainly do still think Iron Man two was a misstep, but I think just because I didn't have so many expectations for it, I didn't view it as big of a letdown. Um, that being said, uh, again, in total agreement that it was definitely a misstep. Although I was watching the, uh, Tony and the donut scene earlier where then Nick Fury shows up, uh, and talks to him and calls him a giant pain in the butt um, scene earlier today for whatever reason, it just popped up on my recommended. And I was like, Oh, this will be a nice callback to a very different time. That's fair. All right, guys, we're going to wrap up our retrospective here. Your top five MCU films so far. We'll go round Robin. We'll start with Scott, then go to Jay and then come to me and we'll just kind of round Robin this. My number five is captain America winter soldier. Um, I think this movie was such a pleasant surprise. I didn't really like the first Captain America. I think it's pretty solidly average. But I think this movie was a really cool, old-fashioned sort of spy thriller, the likes of which we didn't really see elsewhere in the MCU. And also, I think this was sort of the peak of the banter between uh, Captain America and uh, Black Widow, which I think that was, you know, when Captain America, who's a character that I'm sort of hot and cold on, that's some of when he's at his best is when, uh, you know, he's he's playing off of Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow. And we get a lot of that in this movie. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a really satisfying movie and a lot of people's favorites. Uh, one, oh, one, one of a lot of people's favorites, I know. So it's a good one. 
over to me then, I guess. Um, number five, I think, has to be Black Panther. I've already talked about this movie a little bit today, so I uh, won't say much. But again, you know, solid villain. Loved getting to know the world a little bit better. I like bringing just a new side to the MCU. And I think it deserves all the praise it got. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, number five, Thor Ragnarok. Great movie. Scott, you got to watch it soon. Uh, I will. Um, as soon as I finish these exams. <laughs> uh, my number four is, uh, already talked about it, but Avengers Infinity War. Really loved the way that this movie got me back on the MCU hype train. Um, I'm uh, actually with Scott Harvey. My number four movie is Infinity War. It's such a good movie. It's, it is a really good movie. Just missed my top five. It was my number six. On a second watch, this movie, or I should say a second and a third watch, this movie really grew on me and, and kind of, you know, one of my original complaints was that I didn't think Thanos was that great of a villain. But when I rewatched it, it resonated with me a little bit more. And then I think Endgame is such a, it's so complimentary to Thanos as a villain that it really works well for me now. My number four is Black Panther. I think I agree with Jay that it, the world there that they introduced and exploring Wakanda and learning about Wakanda was just a fantastic time. Can't wait to do more of that when the Black Panther sequel comes out and whatever next team up movie there is, I imagine Black Panther will be a part of that. So I'm really looking forward to that. My biggest question is, what do they have to do to get Lupita Nyong'o back in one of these movies? I, I need to read up more about uh, why she didn't appear in Infinity War and Endgame and if there's like a, some sort of contractual dispute happening there or something going on a la Hugo Weaving. But it was a real disappointment to not see her in Infinity War and Endgame because uh, Nakia is such a great character in Black Panther. Okay, so for my number three, uh, I had Captain America Civil War. I think that along with Infinity War, this movie is maybe the darkest one in the MCU. I think obviously, you know, we see a lot of uh, internal tension going on, uh, hence the title, Civil War, um, you know, between Iron Man and Captain America most prominently, but also, you know, sort of the revenge subplot that's going on between uh, T'Challa and Winter Soldier. Also, there's, you know, a lot of darkness there as well. And I really liked that, you know, where, whereas the the DCEU, I think, leans way, way too heavily into that and, and the scripts just aren't, gen, aren't, aren't good enough to, to warrant that kind of a tone. I think, you know, this was the 13th MCU movie. They had earned the right to be a little more dark and be a little more intense with this one. Uh, and it worked and it really set the tone for what was to come with Infinity War and that first hour of Endgame. So, yeah, I think this was a great sort of Avengers 2.5, especially coming off of Age of Ultron, which I think was a little bit disappointing, most people would say. It's so crazy to think that Civil War is the 13th movie of the of 22 that we've seen. And the, the, to think that we're as close to in as close to Captain America Civil War in terms of movie chronology as Captain America Civil War is to i believe what would be thor that's just wild isn't it yeah jay what's your uh what's your number three uh my number three for reasons that scott harvey uh actually pretty uh, eloquently explained is captain america winter soldier great spy thriller love seeing chris evans play off scarlett johansson um i definitely have a soft spot for the you know fight uh chasing down and fighting bucky plot line you know i uh i love that movie it's a good one can't forget the elevator scene. Oh, and yes, thank you. I can't. I cannot believe I just left that off. But yeah, the, the elevator scene, so good. I rewatched that scene the other day, and it's just so it's such a great line. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? <laughs> My number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. That soundtrack says it all. The fact that they can make fun of that so well in Endgame and still have me love the original scene itself. 
uh, is just remarkable. I uh, love that opening scene. Sets the tone for the entire movie. I think it's hilarious. And then coming full circle with Endgame and Rhodey just cleaning out uh, Quill was just hilarious. But yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy, great movie, great soundtrack, great introduction to these characters. It is lacking in a few parts, and I'll and I'll raise my hand and acknowledge that. But it's so stylish. I just it has a it has a special place in my heart. All right, my number two is Iron Man, uh, the very first movie in the MCU. Um, really got me on board uh, with a character that uh, you know I was not familiar with in the slightest, and an actor in Robert Downey Jr. who I wasn't super familiar with at the time that uh, the first Iron Man came out. Uh, I think so much of this movie on paper could have not worked, uh, but the fact that it not only worked, but you know, anchored the entire 22 movie, um, you know, Infinity Stone saga that we've had over these past 11 years, um, speaks to what John Favreau and Robert Downey Jr. and the whole cast did here uh, with this movie, and it's just so much fun, and it really holds up. I watched it again recently, uh, and it's just as good as the first time that I saw it. All you know, building up to that that last scene of "I am Iron Man," which obviously uh, was called back on so beautifully in Endgame. Uh, I think it's such a great ending. You know, the first time you see Iron Man, and you can appreciate it even more now with with the added bonus of Endgame. Jay, what about you? My number two, Spider Man: Homecoming. I'm so high on Tom Hall, uh, Tom Holland, Spider Man. You know, I, I think that uh, Ned is such an adorable character. I, I you know, uh, Michael Keaton as Vulture was great. Uh, what can I say? I'm a sucker for a really good Spider-Man movie, and uh, this was it. Until uh, Spider-Verse came along, and then that was also a really, really good Spider-Man movie. Just to be clear, shout out. Some would say the better best Spider-Man, Spider-Man movie. movie, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, w- I wouldn't fight you there. Spider-Man Homecoming for me as well for my number two. Loved it. My number one is Avengers Endgame. Um, I think, you know, fully delivered on uh, everything that was set up over the past 22 movies, even if I have missed four of them. Uh, I don't think that I uh, really suffered uh, for having missed those four, although I do want to go back and watch at least a couple of them. Uh, I think that even the casual fan can appreciate um, the payoff that happens here. You know, the darkness of that first hour, I think, perfectly, uh, you know, follows from Infinity War, from what goes on at the end of Infinity War. Then that second hour has the great nostalgia of going back to some of the old movies, recapturing those Infinity Stones, and then that third hour, so satisfying, you know, arguably just pure fan service the whole time. But as we talked about in our review, I think they earned it. Um, and yeah, this they couldn't have come to a more satisfying ending to the Infinity Stone saga. So it's a clear number one for me. Avengers Endgame, number one. Need, need I say more after that? Probably not. And you're going to hear no complaints from me either because Avengers Endgame is the top of my MCU movies for everything Scott just mentioned. I know I mentioned this on the last week on last week's episode, but just to emphasize it, it's a movie where, you know, about a third to a halfway through. I was like, this is a great movie. I don't know if it's going to live up to the hype and then getting the rest of that movie. It more than lived up to the, somehow, somehow it more than lived up to the hype. And it was just incredible, incredible experience. I can't wait to see it again, even though I've already seen it three times. And as much as Scott was talking about earlier, how it's remark, it speaks to the uh, quality of the film that he would and the experience that he would go back and see a movie for a second time, especially a movie that's three hours long in theaters. And for me, as much as I as often as I may go see movies multiple times in theaters, it happens at least a handful of times every year. The fact that I saw this movie three times opening weekend and the fact that I already have plans to see it a fourth and a fifth time 
speaks to how special this movie is. You know, it may not have been a 10.0 last week, but it's pretty close. And I really love this movie. It's not even close to Spider-Man Homecoming, in my opinion. All right, guys, that's our top five MCU films so far, and we'll wrap up our MCU retrospective. Before we take a break and talk about news, we do want to make a few predictions or at least discuss a few uh, future-looking things. I know we're calling this this episode our MCU retrospective, but now we will turn our gaze forward. My first question for you guys, and I think this kind of follows nicely from some of the questions that we talked about in our retrospective, is who will or do you want to take center stage in this next era or this next phase of the MCU? Yeah, so I think, and we briefly touched on this in our review, but even though I haven't seen this standalone movie, I think from what I've seen in Infinity War and Endgame, Doctor Strange seems like a great person to lead um, the Avengers going forward. Um, I think his interaction with Tony, who, you know, for the reasons we've talked about, has sort of been the de facto leader of the Avengers and has signified so much about the Avengers um, and sort of the bond that they formed over the Infinity War and Endgame, you know, speaks to maybe sort of a passing of the torch, the fact that he's the one there who holds up uh, the one, you know, to signify that this is this is the one uh, solution. And, you know, he, Doctor Strange is the one who made it happen by sacrificing the Time Stone in order so that Tony could survive and that eventually they could defeat Thanos. And, you know, his powers are really cool. The whole portals and uh, and teleporting and stuff obviously creates a very great moment in, in, in Endgame. And, you know, just the fact that he can see into the future uh, in the way that he did in Infinity War and, and come up with how many uh, possible endings there were, um, I think, is something that could be really beneficial to the Avengers going forward. And, you know, he, he definitely seems like uh, the sort of more mature, grounded uh, sort of character who is going to make a good leader and someone who all of the Avengers can rally around going forward. So I'd say Doctor Strange is my number one with Captain Marvel as a close runner-up. Great question, because I mean, I was I was thinking about this too, um, and just thinking about where all the other characters are headed. I mean, now that Thor is potentially joining the Guardians, and you know, T'Challa is presumably going back to the throne. It's uh, it will, you know, it would be interesting to see what's happened there in the last five years and how he might fit back in, um, in that role. I think Doctor Strange is a is a great answer. Um, although with all of his also responsibilities to like, you know, the mystical world and all the threats that come from there, I also do wonder, you know, who who has time to be like a full time Avenger? I think maybe I'm thinking about this a little too logically. But between characters like War Machine and uh, maybe even Ant Man. Um, I think those two, you know, might actually, you know, form the building blocks of the next group. Yeah, I think War Machine is interesting because obviously he is Tony's best friend. And so he's been there for most of even if the actors may have changed uh, between the first two Iron Man movies, he's been there to see a lot of what Tony has been able to do. So maybe he's someone who is in a position to to lead the Avengers going forward. I don't know. It's just hard for me to see them uh, anchoring things around uh, Don Cheadle going forward. Fair enough. And I mean, I, I, I think I say Paul Rudd just because I love the idea of him trying to recruit people to the Avengers. Um, and last but not least, uh, well, I guess we don't really, I personally don't really know where, where the universe is headed in the, uh, in the direction with uh, Falcon's character. But now that he's been given yeah. the shield and he's Captain America, but I mean, because of his TV show, I'm, I'm not really sure where he might fall in terms of leading the group someday. And Again, you know, maybe that again, that's me being a little too technical and thinking through this, but you know, the idea that the new Captain America could also lead the Avengers makes a lot of sense to me. And I honestly would love to see that. Definitely. 
It makes a lot of sense, but I, I I do think that the fact that he's getting his own Disney Plus TV show, I think seriously inhibits his chance of being that person that they rally the next phase of the MCU around, which is maybe a little bit surprising. But ultimately, you know, it, it's hard to imagine Anthony Mackie being the center point of the MCU. I mean, just being honest, like it, that would really it would be awesome if, if he could transform his character into that you know, focal point of the MCU. But what, from what we've seen so far, because it's he hasn't gotten any opportunities to it, admittedly, he hasn't had the chance. But from what we've seen so far, he doesn't look like he's someone who's able or ready to step into that I role. think that is the kind of thing that could change with one movie, though. I mean, even just speaking to, you know, Doctor Strange's role in Infinity War and Endgame, I mean, that was two movies, how it kind of just brought him to the forefront is like, a, you know what, like you're the guy that, you know, did all these things. Maybe you could, you know take the torch and run with it i mean we'll see i don't think it's out of the question yeah but that's, that's benedict cumberbatch though you're that's talking about true. benedict cumberbatch versus that, that is true I, no but i hear what you're saying though it, it it seems like it would be a logical point i just can't see how it would happen but you know it would be totally awesome to see anthony mackie get be given the opportunity and like knock it out of the park that'd be so cool i think i just doubt it at this at, at this juncture i doubt it understandably yeah, for me, I, I think some of the obvious answers are what we've seen so far. I think in terms of the being the center point of the MCU, it's probably going to be Doctor Strange. It's probably going to be someone like Black Panther. It's probably going to be someone like Captain Marvel. But for me, in terms of anchoring, I think that it wouldn't surprise me if if Hulk kind of become and Mark Ruffalo is like Professor Hulk becomes one of those you know constants that the team rallies around. Not to say that he would lead necessarily the Avengers or whatever the next iteration might be called. I think that that spot will be left to some combination of Dr. Strange and Black Panther. And then when she decides to show up Captain Marvel, but I think Hulk might be that enduring constant and that thread that we come through that we come through that comes through ultimately, because I think Mark Ruffalo was excellent. I mean, he's been excellent throughout his appearances in the MCU, but especially in Endgame, I thought he was fantastic. And the fact now that he is professor Hulk, I think that would make a lot of sense. And he's great. I mean, honestly, we just want him around so he keeps spoiling movies for us, too. Yeah, he's great outside the MCU. He's just a great actor. And yeah, so I I, I like I like the choice of Hulk, too, because I do really like what Mark Ruffalo brings to the MCU. Especially since, it, like I mentioned earlier, it's so unlikely we'll get another Hulk standalone movie because of the yeah. universal, universal having the rights. So, all right, guys, which of the six announced movies so far gets you the most excited. So I am including Spider-Man Far From Home, which, of course, we know the most about and is technically part of phase three of the MCU. But we'll we'll let you have that one if that's the one that gets you most excited. Jay, we'll start with you first. If you need me to run through the six announced movies, I'm happy to. But anything to the viewers, let's do that. Sure. Okay. so to my understanding, the six movies that have been announced that are that uh, we know about at the very least are Spider-Man Far From Home, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Black Panther 2, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, and then Doctor Strange 2. Unless I said that one already. We also have the Eternals, too. Oh, there's seven. The Eternals, you're right. So so the six not including Spider-Man Far From Home, then. (laughs) Not that anyone knows anything about the Eternals, but... That's not true. We have plenty of casting news. In fact, it's rumored to be one of the ones that's going to release next next year because it already has cast. Hmm, okay. Like we know that Angelina Jolie is going to be in it. That's right. Yeah, we know that Kumail Nanjiani is going to be in it. Yeah, Jay, what do I, what, what gets you most excited? Well, I, I think Spider Man is the easy answer, um, being so close and given how much we know about it. Um, and as I've repeatedly said earlier, um, you know, love Tom Holland as Spider Man. Um, 
Jake Gyllenhaal too, man. Jake Gyllenhaal being Jake Gyllenhaal. I'm sleeping on that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there isn't a movie that doesn't get me excited. I guess I have to give a a special note to Doctor Strange too. I really want to see, you know, where they pick up with him. I mean, certainly they tease the sequel already. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, in the post credit scene of the first movie. Um, but given you know, God the more has not seen the post credit scene of that movie. So yeah. okay, maybe, well, maybe should we avoid the spoilers for that, or should we? I, yeah, I was gonna just skirt I don't right around it. No, I'll, I'll skirt around it. You can you can watch it and find out. Um, yeah, I plan to. And good. I uh, yeah, I'm just excited to see you know what they do with him next. Yeah, I think for me it's it's a close call. Honestly, like before Endgame, I would have said Black Widow for sure because uh, you know I think it's we've been long overdue to get a Black Widow origin story, whether it's about what happened in Budapest or not. But now, having seen Endgame, I almost want to say Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, even though I'm not a huge fan of the Guardians as a whole. I think introducing Thor gets me excited. And also, this movie seems to have the most clear connection to what happened in Endgame. At least it seems like they're going to be trying to find out what happened to Gamora um, is going to be sort of at least superficially what the plot of Guardians 3 is about. Uh, And, you know, still riding that high from Endgame. Obviously, I kind of want to see what happens next. And getting to see James Gunn cap off his trilogy will be interesting as well. Obviously, there's plenty of controversy around him coming back for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. But what I'm sure he'll be able to create will be something really interesting. And the fact that we'll probably get to see Adam Warlock is also something that will be really cool. All right. Yeah. So for me, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 probably would have been mine as well. And entirely to your point, Scott, because Thor has become a part of that. That dynamic was so electric and, and just so, so much charisma and so much uh, ch- chemistry between all those characters stemming from Infinity War. And then, uh, of course, the final one of the final scenes of Endgame. <laughs> And I'm excited to see what happens there. For me, the Eternals could be, I mean, I feel like that could end up being such an, a critical part of phase four in the next era of the MCU. I think that that might be a movie where along, you know, alongside Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, especially since volume, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 now is, is probably 2022 is when we're probably going to get this movie because of all the delays that have happened related to James Gunn. The fact that we're probably going to have Eternals before that, we could learn a lot more about what the next phase of the MCU is going to be like in that movie and the direction that it's heading in terms of what the next supervillain might be in terms of what the next team up movie might look like. I think we might learn a lot from that movie. And so for that reason, I'm pretty excited about it, but it's hard to go wrong because Marvel has set such a standard movie after movie that there's, there's just so irregularly is there a movie that lets you down. And I think that goes back to our discussion of, of the fact that we could only come up with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and Iron Man 2 as the two disappointments. Because honestly, there aren't that many other disappointments in the MCU. And so, you know, I'm excited about all these movies, if we're just being honest. I mean, well, yeah, but- second that. Awesome. So to wrap up our discussion before we take a break, guys, any wild plot predictions for the next phase? Anything out of out of left field that you think might happen? Are we going to see the X-Men or the Fantastic Four in this phase? Are we going to be waiting a little bit while longer? Is someone going to become a villain that we currently think is a hero? Any wild ideas that you might have? Well, I think that to throw a couple things out there, I think there's a chance we could see the X-Men by the end of phase four. You know, first of all, because of what I was talking about with Scar, maybe they'll bring the Scarlet Witch connection in um, now that they've established her a little bit more uh, as a character and obviously are going to continue to do so through the TV series. But also because obviously the Fox um, X-Men series is coming to an end with Dark Phoenix. Um, so maybe, you know, it, Disney is going to, you know, pounce on this opportunity to 
send their own X-Men out there. And uh, maybe that's sort of the end of phase four. Who knows the the introduction of the X-Men. So I could see that happening. Something else, which is probably extremely crazy and probably won't happen. And honestly, I can't explain to you how it would happen or what exactly it would mean. But for some reason, I just feel like I would be surprised if we didn't see Thanos again at some point, just because this villain made such a huge impact over the course of two movies. And being, you know, considering what a hard time the MCU has had with establishing good villains and the response was just so positive to Thanos. You know, I just feel like there's a chance that maybe they try to find some way to get him back in there because he was such an interesting villain uh, and that. Maybe, just maybe, uh, we haven't seen the end of him yet. But again, like I said, pure speculation. Uh, I don't even know what it would mean for the MCU if Thanos is able to come back somehow, but just a thought. It's a wild prediction, Scott, but I like it. Those are the kind of predictions (laughs) I like, so we can revisit this five years from now and be like, Thanos coming back. What an idiot. idiot, Yeah. (laughs) Jay, what about you? I'm going to piggyback off the X-Men one a little bit and get a little more explicit I, I'm still the jury's still out. I think on what I think they're going to do with the X Men that are currently in, like in the Dark Phoenix movie. I do think, and I don't know how much I would like this, but I do think they recast and add Wolverine in uh, by the end of Phase Four. I think he's just too big of a character to leave out. I know Hugh Jackman's obviously made a stamp on the role. I know at some points he may or may not have said things about coming back um, if it meant joining the Avengers world, we'll see. I think right now, if I had to guess, I think we're going to get Wolverine again. I think he joins in it by the end of phase four. And I think he's played by someone else. I mean, he needs I, to be played by someone else at this point. If I, if we're being honest, he's, yeah, Hugh Jackman is too old to be, I mean, just to be frank, and if he's going to be like the Wolverine that we think of and not like a Wolverine, like <laughs> professor Hulk, like a mentor, team right? Wolverine. Like he's going to, yeah, exactly. Uh, Jesus Christ. Um, but, but for me, I can't see any X-Men character appearing in the MCU if they're not recast. There's like no yeah. way they bring any of them. Like the, I just can't see anyone from the current X-Men franchise in their current, like with their current actors appearing in the MCU. I think that Dark Phoenix is like a hard stop on that version of the X-Men and whatever we do ultimately see in the MCU. I have, I have no real thoughts on whether or not they're going to appear by the end of phase four. Because uh, we, I mean, we also just don't know how many years Phase Four is going to last. But th- th- I think that concept, like, I, I don't see any current iteration of of the X Men or mutants appearing in the MCU. Fair. But I don't think you're, but you know, and th- that speaks to your prediction, right? You're talking about getting recast. But I was just putting more of a firm statement on my thoughts on the idea of them not recasting roles. But it would be so interesting if Hugh Jackman did show up as Wolverine. I mean, they have de aging technology. So who knows? But I, I think that it would be as cool as it would be. I think it would probably be the wrong move. And I don't think Marvel is accustomed to making the wrong moves. Yeah. Fair enough. Anything else, Jay? Or are you sticking with just the X-Men? Um, I mean, I've, I've certainly given some thought onto who I think the next, uh, you know, really big bad is going to be. Uh, I'm talking end of the next saga, like who the, I guess, Thanos equivalent would be. And I mean, I guess depending on how much time um, or how much, I guess, foresight they had into whether or not this when this uh fox merger would get done and when they'd be able to use these characters i don't think it'd be crazy for them to go out and make galactus the next big bad and i don't mean the giant planet i'm talking about in like you know some sort of uh wearing the suit with the horns and everything i uh i think that could very potentially be our next like 
Thanos level villain, you know, the one that, you know, brings everyone back together for what will be the, like the next iteration of the infinity saga. Yeah. And just because of the history of these two franchises, I think having someone like Galactus makes a, I mean, it makes, I think it's what a lot of people are saying. I don't know like how hot of a take that is because he is a natural next big bad, but also because fantastic four, given the fact that the, you know, the last fantastic four movie was, was it 2014? The point of it is that they haven't made a Fantastic Four movie recently. There weren't any ongoing Fantastic Four uh, movies being in production at Fox. And so I think that the ramp up for something like this, out of respect for what's happening at Fox, would be a lot quicker than that of, of X-Men. And so in that sense, I think I think that this would be uh, an easier transition. And then, of course, having Silver Surfer and Galactus be a part of the MCU's next era. I think that makes a lot of sense. And there's a lot of place, a lot of places and directions that they can go with that, how they might be able to use silver surfer, of course, as a prelude to Galactus, not, not dissimilar to how Loki was used as a, as a precursor to Thanos in, in the original Avengers. I think there's a lot that they could do with that. And it would be interesting if like the first introduction of the fantastic four wasn't some massive team up where they show up, not dissimilar to black Panther or Spider-Man in Captain America, civil war. I think that that, that has, definitely has some potential. Well, whoever the next villain is, I think they're going to have to do a really good job, as they did with Thanos, of establishing how powerful they are. Because Captain Marvel is such an important part now of the Avengers, I think that it's going to be hard to establish a villain who is going to be a good match for Captain Marvel because it does seem that she is the most powerful of all of them. And you know, even in Endgame, we saw how they kind of had to bend over backwards a little bit to put her on the sidelines for most of the movie, uh, because otherwise it may not have, uh, things may not have gotten quite as out of hand as they did. Uh, so it, it will just be interesting to see how they work around that going forward. She's the MCU cheat code. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and to that point, I think that the ever shifting focus toward like the cosmic aspect of the MCU, I think that's probably going to be something that they'll want to rein in, at least to some extent. I mean, they have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and The Eternals, which are inherently more cosmic films. But I think that they're really going to want to reground the franchise on Earth and get those more personally relatable experiences, maybe. I imagine that a lot of the characters they'll be introducing, which I don't currently have any particular feeling for, but speaks to Fantastic Four to some extent, but especially X-Men, I think that they'll want to get those in the franchise, not necessarily as quickly as possible because they're going to want to do it right. And Marvel does things right. But, you know, if we could cap off phase four, if, let's say if it lasts four or five years, if we can cap off, cap off phase four with something like a team up movie that gets you Fantastic Four or gets you X-Men into the world, uh, I think that's something that they could really go for. As for predictions, I know this may not be that crazy of a prediction, but I think the Black Widow and Gamora are still alive out there. I think the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is going to be hunting down Gamora and I think uh, uh, and going and exploring really the Soul Stone. And if Black Widow isn't already alive, I think that at the end of Volume 3, there could be a hint toward Black Widow being alive. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if those two come back. And that's why I think it's likely. I know I mentioned this on the podcast last week, but the, the idea that, that, when, that when Hulk snapped and brought back everyone who was lost in the snap. You know, he said he told Cap that, hey, I tried to bring her back uh, when I snapped. And we know we don't know that she wasn't brought back. We don't know that because she would be out on Vormir if she were brought back. We also don't know what how like how on earth Cap returned to the Soul Stone. What does it go up to 
uh, Red Skull and be like, here's your stone back, bro. And, like, we don't know what happened there, how that works. I think it'll be really interesting to see how that plot arc develops. And in, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten movies time, I wouldn't be surprised if we've got ScarJo back. I, I don't I don't know. I, I would be hesitant. To, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I just don't know how I'd feel about that happening because... Like, I'm with you. I liked the idea of Endgame being the the finality of Endgame, and like if Black Widow comes back, who's to say they can't bring Iron Man back? I mean, I, I don't know. It, I, it just seems like a slippery slope to me. And yeah, I mean, I'm with you, right? I, I think the finality of that meant it, it had such a meaningful impact at the end, uh, uh, or in the middle, I should say, of Endgame. And so I, it would be disappointing to see her be brought back. But in terms of a slippery slope, like yeah, sure. What does that mean? Maybe you could bring back Iron Man. But the difference is. When Hulk snapped his fingers, he said, I tried to bring her back. Yeah. And so you know, if they could recollect the Infinity Stones and snap and bring Tony back, I mean, sure, that's possible. But I, I don't see that as problematic for a slippery slope. But I do think it dilutes the ultimate impact of that sacrifice that she made on Vormir. And so I, I would be disappointed to some extent. But then also I get more Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow. So I can't complain too much if that happened. Fair. Jay, any thoughts on all that? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to chime in and say, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm, I am, I just haven't said anything about being excited about her standalone film. I definitely am. Um, and, you know, I thought her role in Endgame was like a perfect conclusion to the character, um, you know, given what we've known about her, you know, however limited that might be. I don't know. I guess I, I and maybe this was me hoping they were going to leave her dead um, after this. Like I interpreted the, you know, I really tried to bring her back line as, their way of basically saying like, no, she's really gone. Like not even the stones could bring her back, which uh, I mean, you know, they could definitely find their way around, you know, whether it be in a movie exploring the soul stone or something else. But Hulk doesn't know whether he like who he brought back. Yeah. The, the mechanics of the snap and how it works aren't really that clear, but in my head, the reason it took him so long to snap his fingers was because he was trying to make something happen that couldn't happen. Because okay. you think about because well, they Tony how, snapped it again, really quick, exactly, and like you know, Tony's was just like I, you know, I'm doing this, and it worked. And the fact that you know Hulk with all of his like built-in gamma radiation like couldn't. I think that's a good point. Yeah. This again, I might just be totally off base. This might just be something they didn't even really think about. The whole like you know him getting ready to snap uh, the Hulk is you know tied in with Thanos coming to our time, whereas Tony having to do it you know in a moment you know necessary for the the power and the quip of the mo like, you know, his line, you know, maybe they, they didn't really think that through, but to me, the reason he couldn't snap his fingers quickly enough was because of the, the gravity of the request he was trying to make. It was basically like, Nope, try again. Yeah. I like that. Interesting. Maybe. All right, guys, I think that will just about wrap up our discussion of this MCU retrospective of the last 11 years, the first 11 years of the MCU. Jay, I know you're not hanging around for the news section. Anything you'd like to leave us with in terms of parting thoughts? Just excited for the next saga and, you know. You mean the Star Wars saga, right? <laughs> yeah, Jay has not seen any Star Wars movies, but we might be trying to change that on the podcast coming up later this year, guys. So stick around. Keep an eye out for our Star Wars content. Yeah, they, Starting... just, they just might succeed. <laughs> yeah, it might. Might indeed. All right, guys. Thank you, Jay, so much for, for being on this Thanks, episode, Jay. for sharing your thoughts and knowledge. Uh, and we look forward to having you back on the podcast sooner than all of our listeners might think. Talking about Star Wars, maybe. Pleasure talking to you both. I uh, can't wait to see what we do next. 
All right, guys, let's take a short break. And when we return, we'll be down a J, but we'll be talking about some recent happenings and news as well as some new trailers. We'll be right back. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, in recent happenings and news, we have to start with something that's you know very sad to hear. Uh, John Singleton passed away this past week. He suffered a, a stroke uh, and then was taken to the hospital. He was on life support for a period of time, but his family made the tough decision to take him off life support. And he's now, uh, we, we, all we have is, is left to is remember him for his amazing work in the film industry, you know, uh, so, some of the most memorable films and, and coming out of the Spike Lee camp, I, I think that he, he, you know, he created some really special, special movies. Scott, what do you remember him most for, would you say? Well, you know, to be perfectly frank, uh, I have not seen any of John Singleton's movies. And I but I consider that a shame because, like you said, he is uh, a very influential director uh, in African-American film in the 90s. Of course, by far his most well-known film is Boys in the Hood, which is you know considered to be one of the seminal you know, films about African-Americans really ever made. Um, really was a breakthrough for Ice Cube in, in that movie, but also Cuba Gooding Jr. and Lawrence Fishburne um, you know, playing huge roles in that movie. And it's just, it is one of the seminal films of that time, um, you know, not made by Spike Lee. Um, or, I mean, made by anyone. It's one of the seminal films of that time. But, you know, other movies like Poetic Justice, you know, he did the remake of Shaft. Um, in recent years, he he hadn't had he hasn't had as big of a hit, but he has had uh, some television that he's directed, uh, you know, Empire, stuff like that. Um, and he's, you know, it, just again, the re- the reactions you can always tell from the reactions when someone dies, um, the influence that they've had and the reactions from people on all spectrums of the film community, I think really spoke to, uh, you know, what a loss this is. And he's way too young to be going. So, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. You're right. You know, more recently doing TV stuff like empire, like billions, but making his name it with a movie like, um, boys in the hood classic movie. And, uh, he will be missed for sure. Yeah. All right. Moving on to a little bit happier news. Uh, Lord and Miller had inked just this past week a nine figure deal with Sony. That's hundreds of millions of dollars <laughs> to develop a Spider-Verse show. And well, what I imagine, maybe a few Spider-Verse shows or Spider-Verse show and then some. Well, look, if there's anybody out there right now who warrants this kind of deal in the film world, nine figures, it's Lord and Miller, right? They have absolutely, um, you know, earned the trust of Sony uh you know, in doing something like this, uh, whether it's the Lego franchise, the Jump Street movies, or of course, yeah, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, obviously uh, most directly related to this, but some of the most memorable films of the last decade, there certainly were, you know, well-known before Spider-Verse, but I think they've almost become household names now because of Spider-Verse. And I'm just excited to see what will, uh, you know, come out of this extended Spider-Verse universe, because obviously it was our number two uh, movie of last year, you know, best superhero movie this decade, in my opinion, although Endgame, I think, gives it a close run for its money. Yeah, and I think it'll be really interesting to see what the other projects will be as well, because nine figures will get you more than just a Spider-Verse show, I'd imagine. Yeah, uh, I don't know if that'll be, multi- uh, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if that'll be multiple Spider-Verse shows. So, you know, maybe we'll get shows in different uh, in different areas of the multiverse, 
Or will it mean that, you know, you'll get some new IP from Lord and Miller or you'll get follow ups to something in the Lego universe or you'll get something in the Jump Street universe? You know, you know there's so much possibility there. I don't know where the, the intellectual property rights lie, it, whether they lie with Lord and Miller or whether they lie with the studios who originally re- produced and, and distributed those films. I'm not sure I need to do a little bit more research on that. But I think it's fair to say we're going to get more than just a single Spider-Verse show. And that's really exciting. Yeah, maybe Benny, the guy from Lego Movie who just says Spaceship all the time, is going to give his own TV show. (laughs) Maybe. Spaceship! (laughs) Spaceship! Uh, All right. Tyler Perry and Angelina Jolie, whose career seems to have been taking a recent resurgence. I guess after getting officially divorced from Brad Pitt, she's decided she needs to start acting again. I don't know. But they will star in Taylor Sheridan's next thriller, Those Who Wish Me Dead, alongside Nicholas Holt and Aidan Gillen. Yeah, I mean, I think out of all those names, the name that gets me the most excited, you know, I love Nicholas Holt last year in in The Favorite, but is Taylor Sheridan, right? This is a guy who in just a few years has really made a name for himself first by writing hell or high water. And then, which was, you know, nominated for best picture and then writing and directing uh, wind river, which is one of my favorite movies of 2017. Um, so I think uh, whatever he does, and, and this is, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, this is another sort of neo Western, I believe from the description. So it should be right in his wheelhouse. And uh, with those names attached, I'm excited. Yeah, very interesting to see what this movie has in store. I, like you, really enjoyed Wind River. I thought it was an amazing thriller. I had my ish- I took issue with some aspects of the movie, and so I hope that doesn't trickle in. Uh, I-, I should say, I hope that's not going to be a recurring problem for Taylor Sheridan. A lot of whitewashing uh, th- things and, and white savior comp- uh, mentality uh, kind of trickled into his script there. Uh, but I'm hoping that that is cured in this next outing, and I'm all here for it. I think Tyler Perry doing a little bit more dramatic work. We've seen it a little bit more recently, but I think Tyler Perry in a dramatic role, if that's what this role is going to be, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, because he was so good in Gone Girl. Like I think uh, it, his performance is one of the more underrated ones in that movie, but he really kills it as uh, Tanner Bolt, the attorney. Yeah, totally. Totally agree. All right, Scott, Shailene Woodley, someone who we saw last year in Adrift, a movie that we were uh, a bit hot and cold on, maybe a little bit more cold than hot. But her next movie is going to be the lead in an assassin thriller called Misanthrope. Yeah, this is uh, this is another movie which, yeah, I'm very excited about the uh, the actor who's involved. I mean, I like Shailene Woodley a lot, but really the draw to me for this is the director, Damien Ziffron, uh, who... I believe this is actually his first movie since Wild Tales, which was uh, all the way back in 2014. But Scott, I know you told me earlier this week you haven't seen this movie, but it's legitimately one of my favorite foreign movies of the decade. It did get nominated for an Oscar. It's sort of a, uh, uh, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for, but anthology, I guess, because there's like six, five or six different stories. And it's like, they're almost sort of short stories uh, that are told uh, in over the course of this movie. uh, And, all of them are just wildly entertaining. It's very, it reminds me a little bit of Tarantino, a little bit of Inyari too. Um, it's just a really striking and original film. Uh, and so, you know, th- obviously we've waited a while to get his next movie, but uh, here it is. And with a name like Shailene Woodley attached again, very on board. Yeah, absolutely. Excited to see what Big Little Lies season two has in store for her, but even more excited, I'd say, about this movie because, you know, seeing her star as a police officer and the serial killer uh, kind of hunt down thriller, I think that that shows a lot of potential. And it's not a role that we've seen Shailene Woodley play, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm interested to see what she brings to that kind of role and that kind of movie. Yeah, definitely. 
All right, last bit of news before we shift over to some trailers. Lupita Nyong'o to star in a sci-fi comedy that's been acquired by Universal. Scott, after coming off of Us and then Black Panther last year, how excited does this get you? And then also, how excited does it get you to see that she's going to be playing a comedic role as opposed to, you know, something of the flavor of Us or Black Panther, which is, of course, you know, action, drama, horror. Yeah, I mean, I think that you hit the nail on the head, right? there about what the draw of this role is, is that it is seeing in her in such a, in, in a comedic role for the first time, because she has proved herself to be a very versatile actress across a lot of other genres, but we haven't really seen her done comedy, do comedy yet. And the lack of experience doesn't really suggest anything to me, uh, because I think she's going to kill it because, uh, you know, she's proved how talented she is. And uh, I, I, I don't see any reason why she can't transplant those talents uh, over to comedy as well, but it will be interesting to see yet another side of her. Yeah, totally agree. I'm really looking forward to this. And now I'm just waiting for who, you know, who else is going to round up this cast and what this movie is going to look like. Okay. Switching over to trailers, Scott, we got the final footage for detective Pikachu before this movie release. It had, it had, of course, it's, you know, world premiere, last week and it's or I should say it's grand opening and it's coming out in theaters later this week where we talking about it next week on the podcast but they keep dropping these little one minute trailer footages this time of Pikachu I don't know if you saw this guy but Pikachu giving Psyduck a foot massage every time I see this movie the more I fall in love with it I know that the reviews have been positive maybe a little bit mixed but mostly positive from what I've seen and uh, so I'm really hoping that I fall in love with this movie because honestly my, my hype for this movie Scott couldn't be any higher from what I've seen so far yeah, I don't think I did catch this last bit of footage, but I'm with you at this point. I'm kind of just ready to see the movie and, uh, you know, see whether it delivers. Little teaser for the podcast, Scott. We might be able to see this movie together, too. So that'll be really Woo! interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Denzel All right, Washington. Scott. Woo! <laughs> exactly. All right. Sonic the Hedgehog trailer, Scott. It was, I didn't want to end on a sour note, so I thought Oof. I'd put Sonic the Hedgehog in the middle. We did get some news that the director, whose name is escaping me right now, apparently they're going to do at least some small touch-ups on uh, the blue blur. What did you think of this <laughs> this first trailer? Well, Scott, it's not great. Um, you know, j- it's a trailer. <laughs> just to be perfectly honest, yeah, it it is a trailer. I assume that some of the footage in it will be in the film. That's about all I can say because uh, I, I think I tend to go with what the internet's reaction was to this, uh, which is kind of shock and awe and horror uh, more than anything. Um, you know, obviously at um, the the actual foot figure of Sonic himself, just very badly designed and weird human teeth. Um, not at all, you know, what you would imagine from playing the Sonic video games, but also just from sort of the general tone and feel of the movie. And Jim Carrey's character seems really over the top. You know, I know shocking for Jim Carrey, but, um, you know, it just seems like it's going to be to to to, a, to something that you said uh, a little more directed towards kids uh, than something like Detective Pikachu, which seems at least like it's going to have sort of crossover appeal uh, in the way that we've seen other animated movies, like you know some of those Lord and Miller movies um, have had, which is I think what we're really looking for at this stage of our lives. Uh, and I'm not sure Detective Pikachu is really going to be. I mean, Sonic the Hedgehog is really going to be able to deliver on that. But it seems like they're already making some changes, but it may be too late at this point. Yeah, I just don't know how in this stage of the production process you can completely re reanimate or re you know configure the rendering uh, of this Sonic character. It just feels like it's too late and too Herculean of an effort to be able to thoroughly scrub this and recreate. You know, maybe not from the ground up, 
but even, you know, re-render all this, not only would it be a difficult task in terms of time and resources, but money, it would be so, it must be so expensive to have to re again, reanimate or, you know, re-render this Sonic figure in every single scene of the movie. Like that just sounds like an incredibly expensive task. Like, I have no idea what this movie's budget is already, but you'd imagine that budget would go up 25, 30% if they're going to re-render the CG. They have to be wondering at this point whether they should just scrap the whole movie, maybe. I mean, I mean, they've spent the money already. They should at least put it out in theaters and try to recoup some because they would get I mean, they'll get some money, right? That's got to be better than bagging it completely. But to me, you know, just to reference something that you mentioned. Yeah, I really felt like there was a strange mismatch between, you know, Jim character, Jim Carrey's character, Sonic and the rest of this movie. It, It just felt like. Jim Carrey's character, yes, he is over the top and and a bit exaggerated and very, it seems like a villain very targeted towards kids. I understand that this is a villain from the video game. It is Dr. Robotnik. And so there's only so much you can do. But one, Jim Carrey doesn't look anything like Dr. Robotnik. He's not fat. Like, Dr. Robotnik is like a massive character. He's (laughs) like a freaking little like bowling ball. You know, I'm not going to like nitpick over that because, you know, creative license happens all the time. <laughs> they should have gotten Kevin James instead. Is that what you're Kevin saying? James. <laughs> yeah. Or Paul, you know, just Paul Blart. Just bring in the full Paul Blart character. Or let's, why don't we just bring in Chris Hemsworth again and let him play fat again? Nick <laughs> Thor. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the point is that as, as wacky as Jim Carrey is, I think that, you know, it see, it feels mismatched because the rest of this movie feels like it's not only directed at kids. It's trying to do that cross appeal or even a feel more targeted towards young adults. And it just, there feels like, there feels like a big mismatch, let alone the look of Sonic. Yeah. I, I can't imagine this going well, but you know, I've been surprised before. Yeah, we'll see. And especially coming off something like Detective Pikachu, I think that this could be a real disappointment for video game adaptations coming off something that could be the best video game adaptation of all time. But so it goes. Yeah. All right, Scott, we'll turn this last one over to you. This is a movie that wasn't on our radar at all before this week when they had a trailer drop, but there is a new summer horror movie called Crawl. What did you think of this? And maybe describe it for our listeners who may not have seen this. Yeah, so this is like a your classic sort of B-horror movie. Uh, it is set in a uh, house in Florida in the midst of a uh, like Category 5 hurricane, um, and it's about a... a Girl played by uh, Kayla Scodelario and try like trying to rescue her father from the hurricane. I believe Barry Pepper is playing the dad. And in the midst of trying to rescue her dad uh, from the the hurricane, she, because it's Florida, she also encounters alligators. Uh, so you're you're introducing that element into it as well. And Scott, this movie just looks like so much fun. Um, like it reminds me of you know a movie that I love from a couple of years ago, The Shallows, which was just, you know, not something that is going to stimulate you on any intellectual level, um, but is such a fun and well-crafted, you know, again, summer B movie, the kind of thing you can go sit in the theater for 90 minutes, turn your brain off and just have a great time uh, with it. And another movie like that was Don't Breathe from uh, a couple of years ago. And this movie is actually coming to us from the producers of Don't Breathe. uh, And it, it's directed by Alexander Aja, who directed Piranha 3D, which I never saw, but was, uh, you know, another sort of uh, movie in that sort of tongue-in-cheek B-movie horror uh, type genre. 
Uh, so, you know, this this looks to me like it's going to be something that, you know, probably won't be uh, in in any Oscar races. I, I'm going to actually I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's 100 percent not going to be in any Oscar races. Uh, but it's probably something that I'm going to come out of the theater giggling uh, and, you know, telling everyone to go see it. Yeah, th- this seems like the exact kind of disaster horror movie that you get in the summer that you enjoy for the 90 minutes that you see it. And then you probably don't remember it in a month or two's time. And that's OK. Yeah, no, I mean, look, there's all kinds of movies in the world. We need all kinds of movies uh, in order to survive. So not every movie uh, has to be like uh, a brighter summer day or something like it. We need these movies, too, in order to uh, sustain uh, film as an art form. Um, not to- Absolutely. And not it makes the podcast the more interesting if we don't talk about the same kind of movie week after week. Right. And, you know, summer obviously is filled with uh, these huge you know, blockbuster, uh, big budget movies that usually have uh, tie-ins to some sort of, uh, you know, outstanding franchise. So to see something like this, which is going to be more low budget, more sort of, uh, you know, tongue in cheek, uh, I think is refreshing in the midst of that summer period. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure Paramount was, it, it also makes me wonder if Paramount dropped this trailer early just to try to take people's mind off Sonic. It's possible because, you know, a lot of the reaction that I was seeing to this trailer, you know, in contrast to Sonic was positive. A lot of people say this <laughs> looks like a lot of fun. Obviously, very counter programming to Sonic, not at all attracting the same kind of audience. But I'm sure Paramount was just like, give us some yeah. give us something good to talk about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, Scott, I think that will just about do it for our episode 41 of Some Like It, Scott. Any parting thoughts to leave us with today? Uh, I guess not, you know, I. I'm finishing up exams, as you mentioned. I just got one more to go. Actually, by the time you hear this, I will probably be a 3L eventually. So I'm excited to uh, head home for a little bit, uh, get to see you for a little while. We'll go to Houston. um, And I think it's going to be a fun summer of, uh, you know, working some for me, but also seeing a lot of great movies that we're going to discuss on the podcast. Yeah, and catching up on some that you haven't seen. Right. Uh, Like... Uh, one, one that I, awesome. uh, t- Oh, go ahead. You're good. You're good. Okay. Uh, and yeah, you, where can people find you on Twitter, Scott? I'm at Scarvey Dent, uh, attracting the ire of New Orleans Saints fans everywhere. Yeah. Scroll back to Sunday, uh, on Scott, Har- on Scott Harvey's, uh, replies and you'll find some really good content. <laughs> you know what? Even better. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And uh, you can find me at at Shelton two zero one three and you can find our podcast on Twitter. We'd love it if you followed us over there at, at Media Plug Pods. And we'd love it even more if you checked us out over on Patreon for our podcast. That's www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. A bunch of different reward tiers over there depending on how much you're willing to pledge the podcast. And we'd appreciate even if that's only at the one dollar level where you'll get the episodes early. But check out all the tiers for yourself. See what fits you the best. And we'd love it if you if you did support us over there. That's again, www.patreon.com slash media plug pods. Check it out for yourself. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, however, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts and on Podbean, where we'd also appreciate it if you rated and reviewed us as well as subscribed and shared so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. All right, I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. We'll be back with all new with an all new episode of Some Like It's Got next week, reviewing one of my most anticipated movies of the year, Detective Pikachu. I'm sure everyone will be happy that I can stop waxing lyrical about the random one minute footage that that gets dropped every single week. But yeah, we're talking about Detective Pikachu next week. So until then, 
for Scott Harvey and Jay Habib. I'm Scott Shelton. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.